Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first episode of the Real Life Oscar Challenge. I am one of your hosts, Michael Levito. Join with me always. It's my roommate, Lars Emerson. What's up, world? My sister, Kathleen Levito. Hi. All right. This is our first episode. The year was 1994. It was the year of the Republican Revolution. It was the year Nelson Mandela was elected president of South Africa. It was the year the New York Rangers won the Stanley Cup after 50 years of not doing so. Most importantly, it was the year of my birth. I was going to say OJ. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I forgot about OJ. God damn it, you ruined my intro. Um, Okay. So yeah, it was the year of my birth, and if you're not familiar with the concept of the show, we have an intro episode where we talk about We only about talk it. about Michael's birth. <laughs> right, yeah, just about... Just over and over and over again. And how these people, even though they weren't born yet, how they felt it sort of in the ether. <laughs> um, no, so we're going to talk about all the best picture-nominated movies of our lifetimes, even though I was the only person alive in 1994. We're going to start with 1994. One, because why not? And two, because it was kind of a stacked year for Best Picture nominees. It's a super stacked year. And sort of controversial as far as the results go as a result. Uh, The movies we're going to be talking about are Forrest Gump, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Pulp Fiction, Quiz Show, and The Shawshank Redemption. So yeah, like I said, a really good list. And I'm stalling right now because I lost the Audacity recorder and it's still recording. Fabulous. Okay. So <laughs> we want to just jump right into it. Let's well, what it. ended up winning that year, or do we tell them at the end? <laughs> I think we should save it for the end. Oh, okay. Build yeah. some suspense. Oh, okay. We can cut that out. <laughs> right. Feel free to Google on your own accord, but yes. come back to the podcast. So we're going to start things off with probably the most famous movie of this bunch, which is Forrest Gump, directed by Robert Zemeckis, uh, written by Eric Roth. It's based on a novel by Winston Groom. It's starring Tom Hanks as the titular character, Robin Wright as his love of his life, Jenny, Gary Sinise as Lieutenant Dan, um, McKelty Williamson as, I think, Bubba, I'm just reading these names off, and Sally Field as his mom. You had something to say, Lars? No. (laughs) Okay. So, this movie, if you've been living under a rock for the past 20 years, is about a a mentally challenged man from Alabama... um, Sort of him growing up and experiencing every momentous occasion of, like, the mid-20th century. He um, goes to Alabama when they start admitting black students for the first time. He joins the army and fights in the Vietnam War. He meets a bunch of presidents. He meets John Lennon. Um, and that's all sort of going on while he's... Or his love interest, Jenny, takes this very different sort of trend through life where she becomes a hippie. She goes to Woodstock... She's involved in anti-Vietnam War protests and sort of how they connect and disconnect and meet and, yeah, how all that happens. I, sh- I shouldn't have even watched it. You could have just explained right? this to me and it would have saved me a whole two and a half hours. Yeah. No, I just couldn't have seen it many times before. Well, would you like to volunteer what you think about this movie then? <laughs> sure. So, um, Forrest Gump, to me... It's fine. Look, it's a good movie. I, I, it's received, like, a ton of backlash, which I think has been a little unfair. Like, I'm not going to pretend it's the best movie ever or even the best movie from that year. But, like, it's, like, objectively a pretty enjoyable film. I've seen it, like, what, probably six times in my entire life. Um, you know, I like it. I liked it. <laughs> what are you going to do? Um, I think it's... it, it 
it, it's a I understand why like uh, Americans particularly like the baby boomer generation would enjoy this movie um, and I, I think it's a good movie to capture the vibe of an era that's sort of my initial thought Kathleen your thoughts <sighs> my thoughts um this is one of those movies that I've seen completely in bits and pieces, but never actually sat down and saw it uh, start to finish until this time. And I agree that it's an enjoyable movie, but I don't know if I watched it necessarily because I cared what was happening, or more so just because it kept on moving. It's a movie that doesn't stop moving. Um, it just like pushes its agenda forward. Um, which is not a bad thing, it's just a thing that the movie does. Um, I don't know, in general, it was fine. <laughs> it was, I have opinions on it, we'll get into those later. Yeah, right. I... Oh. Yeah. No, I'm done. Okay, I... Yeah, it's hard for me to remove this movie from sort of like, at the risk of sounding melodramatic, the role it's played in my life, where it's kind of one of the first adult movies, quote-unquote, I've ever seen. It used to run on TBS all the time, so I've seen it a lot. Um, it also kind of coincided with this interest I had in, like, 20th century history. And it's a really good digest of, like, 20th century history. And so there are just lots of scenes and moments and stuff that sort of stick out in my mind. Um, it is a incredibly sentimental and savvy movie. Yes. It is... It is a weird sort of self-congratulatory, like baby boomer like pageant and I don't know entirely how I feel. There's, there's like a lot of things where like I don't know entirely how to feel about this movie but I, I think it is yeah I think it's a little too much crap um, specifically because the movie's a okay I'm gonna spoil it right now specifically because the movie's a beat to win best picture Forrest Gump won best picture spoiler alert um, I think it's a little too much crap and I and just because it has become... But it's become like a piece of Americana, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. even if I don't think someone will like this movie, I think you kind of have to watch this movie because it's become so ingrained in, like, American culture, it's impossible to escape. And it's fine. Like, the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hate, I know people who hate, hate this movie. And it's like, it's such an internet reaction to think... Yeah. This, and I'm, and I'm going to say the opposite thing about The Shawshank Redemption, which is literally the highest rated film on IMDb right now. Um, it's like, that's such an internet's choice. <laughs> I mean, I'm saying that sort of degradingly. I don't care. But it's like, Forrest Gump, it's such a, like, an internet thing to hate. And yeah. Shawshank is such an internet thing to love. Yeah. And I think it just, like, can't they both just be good? Maybe Shawshank's better, but, like, come on. <laughs> um, I think the sappiness turns a lot of people off, honestly. Mm-hmm. I think that... I don't know what I think. This movie... So, so I think another part of the backlash, too, is that this movie has been interpreted as, like, kind of right-wing, um, as sort of trying to uphold traditional values, um, specifically because Forrest Gump, he's an all-American football player, he's a Vietnam War veteran, and he sort of ends up leading this very lucky, very charmed life, whereas Jenny um, joins the counterculture, she's a hippie, she does all kinds of drugs, um, she listens to disco, right, and she ends up of a very different and much more unlucky kind of life. And so it's sort of like the interpretation of a lot of people is that Jenny's being punished for making these more quote-unquote liberal choices, whereas Forrest Gump is being rewarded for sort of 
making a more sort of establishment authority sort of choice. He, he do, does what he's do, told but, to do. But, but yeah, did, you, did yeah. either of you get that reading from this movie? Or is yeah. It, is no, I, I mean, I, it's definitely more in the subtext. It's like, I don't think it's that explicit, but it's it, there's definitely a, like, you know, Forrest Gump doesn't make a lot of decisions in the mm-hmm. film. They're kind of all made for him, and he goes for it and does what he's told, and his life works out. Well, he gets chocolates. What's not? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I guess he, he gets, gets a, kid, a, child. a kid that may or may not be his. It's definitely not his. Is dumped on him, but whatever. Um, but my my. Okay, so I don't put things in context. Just like preface that. Um, so I like never watch things in the context of like a time period. But my issue with arguments like that um, or observations like that is that because of like who Forrest Gump is as a character. Um, and I don't want to, like, be offensive, but, like, he's a, a clearly mentally challenged character. So what is that saying about, like, the fact that he just is in his charmed life? Because he doesn't make a lot of decisions for himself. He does just kind of go along. And he doesn't seem to have an, uh, you know, a really um, in-depth awareness of what's happening around him. Like, he meets a lot of prominent people, but doesn't know who they are. So, like, what what is that saying to this theory? Yeah. Um, I agree because I I think especially I read it somewhere where it was just basically like if 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 people if like the right if conservatives are like embracing Forrest Gump as sort of like a a pro conservative sort of movie it's like then they have lost all sense of irony and like critical thought (laughs) because if you think about it like again he is this sort of mentally challenged man. And he is told numerous times when he's in the army, like, you're going to be a general someday, right? It's like, he is so good at being a soldier, despite him being sort of, you know, an empirically, you know, just mentally challenged person. I try to have very politically correct ways to say this. This is not a very politically correct movie. No, it's right? not. It's actually almost, like, disturbing to me how they frame his, his, his faculties and they sort of, like, the sorts of things that, like... There, there are lots of sort of, like, sinister and disturbing things that happen in this movie, but because they are told to you by Forrest Gump, because he, he has a voiceover that goes throughout the entirety of this movie, they're meant to come up as, like, it's sort of like this child basically watching, like, interpreting these horrible things, like, um, essentially his friend, like, Jenny being molested, right? Or things like that, and... I think that's supposed to be... I don't know what that's supposed to be. Is it supposed to be cute? Like, is it supposed to be, like... It's creepy. Uh, it, like, that has mind. not aged well, I don't think. No. But it kind of got, got off a tangent on the political thing. And I think yeah. that, like, you know how you're saying, like, this is, like, the movie of, like, your childhood was the first adult movie you watched, and that was the same as me. We grew up in the same household, and I think I picked up on that stuff, and I'm like, this is strange, and I don't like this. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's mostly my issue with the movie, is not the movie, like... The context of the movie itself it's not the events that happen it's it's really the way that the t- story is told to us that's very uncomfortable for me um just because i just don't feel like it gives a lot of closure mm. and i know that another i think you were telling me this michael or you were saying that it's like this you know there's the two halves of the generation there's jenny there's forrest and their experiences and it's how they interact it's how they come mm. together and it's supposed to be maybe at the end some type of like peace between them yeah but i don't believe that's true because Forrest doesn't see his side of the story so much, and he doesn't even see like he doesn't see either person's side of the story. He has no clue what Jenny's been through, and he it's I don't I yeah. I 
I kind of said after we watched this that I, I viewed this as sort of like a reconciliation between two halves of a generation with the the, the counterculture one and whatever the non-counterculture one would be. One represented by Jenny, one represented by Forrest. Um, and I think it, it, this feels like, you know, it's 1994, Bill Clinton is the first baby boomer president. This feels like the baby boomers being like, all right, we, we kind of run the world now, is sort of in a way. And this is this is our story. And it's, I think oh, that's a lot of the nostalgia we as millennials have probably been exposed to because our parents are baby boomers and most people's in power's authority are baby boomers. Um, so it's, it's, it's in some ways like a, we, a, a well-worn story about civil rights and about Vietnam and about the first man on the moon and things like that. But yeah, I don't know where I'm going with that. <laughs> so. oh, yeah. I think that was a good, good sum up. Yeah. I think just one last thing. I think that going back to what I um, said in our intro episode, if you have not watched that, go back and listen. Or if you have not listened, go back and listen. Um, I said that I like movies about people and about things and about relationships. And you have so much potential with both of these characters that I just don't feel jives. Mm-hmm. And they're like, Jenny has a very complex story and there's like a lot of like, just a lot of pain in her character and we get glimpses of at it, at it and they don't need to like wrap her up in a nice bow they don't need to make her the star of the movie but I think that they give like that's a, just a very heavy storyline that I think is never completely satisfactorily resolved for me yeah and the thing is she's also the more interesting character yeah. I think we all kind of agreed on that mm-hmm. where her story of sort of trekking through the country as hippie and sort of like a homeless hippie it seems like it's it's more interesting to me, at least, because it also feels more authentic and less forced, right? The thing about this movie is that it does feel a little forced. And there's one scene in particular where he... So Forrest Gump wins the Medal of Honor. He's on the Dick Cavett show. I love Dick Cavett. But he's on the Dick Cavett show with John Lennon, of all people. Oh and they're like, oh, Forrest, what's Vietnam like? And he's all like, well, you know, it, it's crazy. Like, people, they never go to church. John Lennon goes... No religion? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I don't really have any money. He goes, no possessions either? <laughs> and then Dick Cavett goes, that's hard to imagine. And then John Lennon goes, well, it's easy if you try, Dick. It's like, oh my god, John Lennon just wrote Imagine because he knew Forrest Gump. Oh, and also Forrest Gump stayed at the Watergate Hotel and saw people burgling a room. Oh, he basically got Nixon to resign. Like, all of that feels very forced. I also feel like the music is a little forced, too. They literally use Fortunate Son in a Vietnam scene, which is the most cliche use of any music in any potential movie context, like, ever. Um, so it is... And I don't know why, in a way, that, like, we we feel like the story needs to be told. Um, it, it's a weird thing. It's It's very weird. Yeah, I, I don't want to drone on too much about this movie because the other ones are more interesting. <laughs> but but like it, it's also like a better, it's like you were talking about Jenny. It's the more interesting story is hers. It's kind of because her character actually develops. Mm-hmm. Forrest's character, he's just a very odd like center of the story in that he's almost not the center. He's kind of just the narrator. Mm-hmm. It's it's it is literally about him, but it's not about his development. I don't you know I don't know where I'm going with that. Anyway, we can move on. <laughs> we can, yeah. Yeah. Um, the one thing I will say is that, like, I do think this movie is legitimately funny in parts. Yeah. Um, specifically, the scene with Abby Hoffman when he's at the anti-war protest, and like the wire for the mic gets pulled out, and Forrest just keeps talking, mm-hmm. and then when he's done, Abby Hoffman's just like, "You said it, man!" Like, no one's <laughs> like, "We have no idea what you said." So, 
I think there is like legitimate charm to this movie, but it's also kind of mixed in just like a lot of weird, uncomfortable moments, honestly. Um, okay, so as far as how this did the rest of the night, it was like the big winner of the night, not just because it won Best Picture. I think it actually won, yes, it did. It won six awards, which was the most awards won that night. Um, specifically, it was nominated for and won Best Visual Effects. Uh, you can feel free to comment while I'm going down this list. It was nominated for and won Best Editing. It was nominated for but did not win Best Makeup. It was nominated for but did not win Best Cinematography. It was nominated for but did not win Best Art Direction. I don't know what art direction they had to do, but... It was nominated for but did not win Best Sound. It was nominated for but did not win Best Sound Editing. It was nominated for but did not win Best Score. Oh, goddammit. Um, it was, uh, uh, it was, it won Best Adapted Screenplay. Um, Gary Sinise, who plays Lieutenant Dan, was nominated for an Oscar, did not win. Um, and Tom Hanks did win. Nice. (laughs) And, uh, Robert Zemeckis, the director, did win as well. And it also won Best Picture. Interesting. Um, any thoughts about those nominations? No. Not yet. I need to know what else happened yeah. that year. Okay. Which I need to compare it to. All right. Um, so let's move on to our next movie then. All right. Which would be Four Weddings and a Funeral. Oh, nice. Yeah. Which yeah, Lars can start I thought this, this movie... Oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, yeah, Mike, Michael, yeah. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> it was directed by Mike Newell, written by Richard Curtis, original screenplay, starring Hugh Grant, Andy McDowell, Kristen Scott Thomas, Simon Callow, James Fleet, John Hanna, Charlotte Coleman, David Bauer, Corin Redgrave... Rowan Atkinson, Mr. Bean himself. Um, so this movie is about Hugh Grant's character, um, whose name's Charlie. And it, it's about, it, he finds himself that he's going to lots of weddings, but none of them are his own. And, <laughs> Whoa, how yeah, many right? weddings exactly? Well, he, he goes to four in this movie. He also goes to a funeral. Um, and it's he and he, he has this like, group of very close friends. They all kind of find themselves in these weddings. Where they even say, it's like, I'd love to go to a wedding where I actually know the bride and groom for once. Um, uh-huh. When he's at this first wedding, he meets Andy McDowell's character. And it's like, wow, she's totally hot. I gotta get to know her. They talk. They hook up. Um, he goes to another wedding later. He sees them <laughs> again. Turns out she's engaged. But they hook up still. Then he goes to her wedding. There's a funeral involved. There's a last wedding involved where dramatic stuff happens. I'm not going to ruin it all right now. Lars, what do you think of this movie? Okay, so I actually, this was my like pleasant surprise of the whole round. Because this was the only one from this year I had not already seen. Uh, I, found, I really enjoyed this yeah. movie. I like got a huge kick out of it. It was actually like very... Like delightful. It's a weird. It's like kind of a rom com, which is weird. It's definitely yeah, no. I, I know. Sure. I, but it's like it, that's a weird thing to see in like a best picture nominee, especially alongside like Pulp Fiction and The Shawshank Redemption. Um, yeah, this was like a pleasant refresher in terms of the year and in terms of movies. Um, I I just kind of thought it was like a. I don't actually have a lot to say about this movie. I just kind of thought it was a pleasant delight. Kathleen? Yeah, I totally second that. I really enjoyed this movie. I would watch it again. Honestly, if you guys want to watch it after this, like, I totally would. Um, I think it's, like, it's it's British, right? Yeah, um, it so is it has British. a very British sense of humor, which I happen to really like. It's very dry. Um, I think, like, in terms of the actual plot, wasn't anything super special in terms of 
the characters outside of Charlie, you don't really get to know anyone else. So there's, I don't, I don't know how well like the the movie was built necessarily, but it's like a truly delightful movie, and I think that's the correct word for it. It's just delightful. Yeah, I, I think I mostly agree. I I think the one thing that this movie that I didn't, I, it, it felt half baked in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I think right, um, and. I think it would almost work better as, like, an ensemble movie than just a movie about Hugh Grant. Um, Because he has these whole friends, and they're sort of, like, given these defined characteristics. It's like, you have the one character who is, like, definitely gay. The one character, turns out, is, like, secretly gay and in a relationship with this guy who's, like, very very eccentric. Um, You have... Not that gay is just a character trait, but, like, that's... It's it's the 90s. It was a character trait in the 90s. Um, You have Kristen Scott Thomas, who's sort of, like, very cold and, like you know, vampy. Uh, you've got, like, the one guy who's really rich but kind of dumb. Uh, and I think that's all of, like, his friends. Honestly, I couldn't keep them. Yeah, I, I don't <laughs> So... <remember. laughs> yeah, all British people do look the same. But... I mean, all of the women looked the same. Oh, and then his roommate, who's other sort than, of like... Other than Scarlett. Yeah, she was Scarlett. The roommate. She's the, she wore, like, eccentric outfits, so that's yeah. how you knew she was She different. looked like a Tim Burton and character. And her boyfriend, yeah. Tex. Yeah. <laughs> so, when did he show up at all of hey, the movies? Hey, he's at the, he's so uh, great. the third wedding. Because it's like... Because uh, Andy... It's like He's American. You knew Andy McDowell. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I... I didn't think Hugh Grant and McDowell had any chemistry. Oh, for sure. And I don't really get Andy McDowell. I don't what? get why Andy McDowell is, like, the love interest in every, like, 80s and 90s. Like, what? Groundhog Day. Oh, I think oh she's, she's really gr- so good in Groundhog Day. And, um, what other movies is Andy McDowell in? Oh, she and Big. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, I don't like that movie. Ooh. You don't like Big? No. There, there's a weird scene in Big. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you mean that part? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um... I think she is in Big. You might be right. Um, I yeah. I don't. She's not in Big. Oh, never mind. <laughs> I'm just an idiot. Well, I thought she was. Too. It's okay. Um, yeah. No, I, 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 I don't have anything else to add on. This movie. It, I, I recommend it. I just like. Should it win Best Picture? No. <laughs> yeah. But it's like... it's good. Like. It, it is so. I, I was watching this. And I'm like, why? Why did this get nominated for Best Picture? Not because it's bad, but because it's it's very it's it's a fun movie, right? And it's a fine movie, and it's like nice. But it's it's a movie. I would think my like my mom has these sort of like 80s and 90s rom coms that she really likes. Most of them star Sandra Bullock, but like she really likes When You Were Sleeping. Um, oh, that's a good and movie like Miss Congeniality, um, and, and movies like that. And it reminds me of that kind yeah. of a movie. We're like, no one ever really has chemistry with anyone in those movies. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why bit. Sleepless in Seattle is so great. Because <laughs> they don't meet. <laughs> <laughs> but what I was going to say is that what the reason I think it got nominated for Best Picture is the funeral scene. Because mm. it is sort of like this very funny, light-ish movie um, for the first three weddings <laughs> and then one of the characters dies this by the way this is a very spoilery podcast that's deal with it you came this in movie's been out for like 25 <laughs> years um and that's sort of when it's revealed that this one character who dies is was in a kind of secret although if you watch the movie for five seconds you realize it's not that secret relationship with another one of the, the friends you look uh, confused a homosexual relationship yes. yeah um 
and nineties scandalous. Yeah. Ooh. And at this guy's funeral, this guy, what was his name? Gareth. Garrett. Garrett. Garrett was a character's name. Um, his partner gives a very touching eulogy. Um, and it's sort of like it, it brings this com- it brings this movie down for like this is sort of like your your average romantic comedy, and then all of a sudden I feel like there are actual stakes because then I actually co- it, it, the way I interpret it is it causes Charlie to make a very bad decision later. He gets engaged to this woman who's terrible, um, or is, they they try to make her seem terrible, which doesn't seem that terrible. No, that's my thing with this movie. I very much like this movie. I don't need to stop on your sentences right now I feel like I'm cutting you no, off no it's fine but I don't feel like because there, there's a lot of characters but I don't feel like they really build many of them so mm-hmm. you don't know like I I wouldn't have picked up on the fact that they were in a relationship maybe if I watched it over again but I didn't even realize the partner who gives the eulogy was part of the movie <laughs> so <laughs> I, also I have a hard time keeping track of things so maybe that's why yeah but um yeah they don't they don't do the best job of fleshing out every single character and making sure that they're distinct in your mind. Yeah, it, it, it they try to convince you of sort of the closeness of these characters. Mm-hmm. And they try to make... It's weird, it's like they, they create these characters and they just kind of throw them in a movie without actually trying to make them do anything yeah. in a way. Um, it's just like, they're like, these characters are eccentric, these characters are interesting. And I don't doubt that. But we never actually get to see that play out. Yeah, exactly. It's more like it's telling, not showing. Yeah, I think so. And you're supposed to show, not tell. Exactly. That's the writer in me coming out. Um, I do think it is... But I I think, again, we were kind of like, oh, it's just romantic comedy. It is a pretty, like, really well-made one, though, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's a joke at the beginning where Hugh Grant is the best man at the first wedding. He has to bring the rings, and he doesn't have the rings. And so he's trying to get rings in another way. And it's just a bit that's, like, really well edited. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there are a lot of really well edited bits and stuff. The scene where the guy is dancing to Crocodile Rock. I actually think the funniest part is the shortest. Because the dude just can't dance at his wedding. Um, <laughs> that was really good, actually. I, like, lost it several times. Like, yeah. I was yeah. dying laughing in this movie. Yeah. It was good. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, again, I guess I don't have much else to say. I will say this. So, the movie begins... First wedding, second wedding, right? Like, there's no in-between there. But there is stuff in-between the second and third wedding where he ends up hanging out with Andy McDowell while mm. she's, like, buying a wedding dress. And to me, mm. I, I I, kind of wish it would have stuck to the... The dun-dun-dun-dun-dun thing. Yeah, I wish it would have, st- yeah. I wish it would have stuck, stuck to the, uh, the, the concept, yeah. The, yeah. the gimmick. I don't know what you would call it. But I wish it would have stuck to that. I just think it would have made more sense and been more interesting. Because that, that to me, is just, like, yeah. a very rom-commy moment in it. Where it's, like, he's really in love with this woman, and he's, but she's, he's helping her pick out a wedding dress. And he confesses his love to her. And she's like, yeah, I can't do anything about that. And it just kind of leaves. <laughs> also, yeah, I, I don't get... <laughs> I, I'm going to get hung up on this. I don't get why Annie McDowell is considered, like, this massive prize in this movie. Yeah. She's an American. Yeah, don't that, you know that's that Americans are, Americans are better? <laughs> I, I guess. <laughs> that's really well, like, basically She it. very clearly cheats on her fiancé with Hugh Grant. Like, it's... Yeah. I don't know. I just felt like they... they she was as, as interesting as I found kind of the other characters. I thought she was the most stock and just felt like the most of like a stock romantic comedy heroine. And, yeah, like I said, I think there was a ton of chemistry 
Okay. But otherwise, watch the movie. Really yeah. Cool. So the funny thing is, this movie was only nominated for two Academy Awards, and I lost both of them. It was nominated for Best Original Screenplay, and it was nominated for Best Picture. That was kind of nice. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good talk. Let's move on to Pulp Fiction. Another really famous movie. It was directed by Quentin Tarantino. It was written by Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery. It stars John Travolta, Samuel L. Jackson, Uma Thurman, Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth, Amanda Plummer, Maria de Medeiros, Ving Rhames, Eric Stoltz, Rosanna Arquette, Christopher Walken, and Bruce Willis. Um, I don't know if this movie really has a plot, per se. It's kind of a bunch of vignettes. Essentially... John Travolta and Samuel Jackson play a hitman working for a mob boss named Marcellus Wallace. Uh, Bruce Willis plays a boxer who has been told to throw a fight by Marcellus Wallace. And Uma Thurman plays Marcellus Wallace's wife. And it's divided into three, basically, stories. Uh, one's about John Travolta taking out Uma Thurman while Marcellus Wallace is away. On a date, not like... On, on a date. They, they make that joke, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, another is about... Bruce Willis refusing to throw the fight and then trying to escape from Marcellus Wallace. And another is about um, Samuel L. Jackson trying to be able to accidentally killing a guy having to clean it all up. And then, well, and then there's, there's the, the diner. Yeah. And then there's the diner, which sort of books ends it, where Tim Roth and Manplow try and rob a diner that John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson happen to be at. Uh, Lars, I know you got to change a heart about this movie. So I did. So I last saw this movie probably when I was like 14. Um, and I kind of was like, you know, I went into it with this expectation of like, oh, this is the movie that everyone thinks is so cool. Because it's such like a teenage boy movie to like. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, at the time I was just like, wow, I don't, I don't get it. That was a movie. Um, but watching it this time, um, you know, like eight years later, uh, I really enjoyed it. I, I thought it was just really... Good. It kept me like captivated the whole way through. Um, I think the best part is probably like the John Travolta Uma Thurman part. Yeah, for Mm -hmm. sure. Um, It's yeah. I I mean, I got all the jokes this time. I suppose when I was (laughs) fourteen, it's good. I'm I'm I've complicated feelings on Tarantino, but this is a great movie. Okay. This movie is very important to me. Um, I, I think I saw it the, for the first time when I was 14, but I've seen it several times since, mostly between the ages of 14 and 17. It's a very teenage movie, I feel like, to watch. And I was friends with a lot of teenage boys, so we watched it a lot. Um, but this was, I saw it for the first time with my best friend, Kristen, um, in her basement. Her brother set it up for us. And then he promptly left because he refused to watch it with us. Um, I think for like that, you know, the final, one of the final scenes. Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, what was I saying? Oh, this is a very important movie to me personally because it, it's very much like confirmed kind of just my, I don't say worldview, that is not correct. <laughs> um, but um, in terms of art, I really like darker things. Like I like pictures of bones and like organs and things like I don't I like a weird kind of twisted sense of beauty um and this was the first thing popular culture thing I think I've ever seen that kind of confirmed that and in a way like yes like other people find these strange acts these strange visuals like beautiful and and you know they can be popular and you don't have to hide that love for like 
not that they like romanticize gore in any way, but it is a very gory movie, and and it's just popular, and they and they combine it with like really beautiful scenes, like the um, when Uma Thurman and John Travolta go to the dance contest, um, and so there's like this interesting balance of like this lightheartedness and this like in a way like simple beauty plus these like just like very gory scenes, and I and it it meant a lot to me to be able to see that in a popular culture piece um so this this movie means a whole lot to me that being said i've seen it so many times that it's starting to get a little tedious mostly because i really love the john travolta uma thurman bit and the rest of it is like i also really like the one when they're cleaning out the car i really like that part too um but though bruce willis's bit is a little tedious to me um and then by the time we get to the diner i'm like okay like I've seen it all, yeah. um, but it is. I really, I really like this movie. It means it means a whole lot. Yeah, I, I think, I, yeah, I saw this. It was probably this was like sixteen or seventeen when I first saw this. Um, and it is, it is very much a movie. So I saw it with, watching with my friend Joe, who I, I like. I saw Pulp Fiction for the first time with Joe. I saw Flight Club for the you know first time with Joe. Like those kinds of movies. Mm-hmm. So it kind of takes me back there. But, and I do remember watching it like a few years ago being like oh this is like slower than I remember and it's a little slow it does drag a little bit especially yeah. like in, in the, the gold watch is what the Bruce Willis like yeah. is called I also think this is a genius movie I actually think this is like it is I don't so I don't know that this movie is necessarily about an idea I don't know that it's necessarily a, it has a meaning to it per se but it's more so about it's a movie about movies in a way, which I feel like has probably been said about Quentin Tarantino before, but it, it's sort of like, all right, what do people like in movies? Well, they really like violence, and they really like snappy dialogue, and this movie is violence and snappy dialogue, right? It's sort of about taking these sort of, like, parts of the movie that aren't good for you, and the parts of the movie that are sort of, like, the gory crowd-pleasers, and then turning that into art. Um... And that's kind of, like, there's just so much stuff, like, in this movie, like, this little bits of it that I appreciate. Like, the part where Tim Roth and Amanda Plummer talking in the diner is, like, a lot like Bonnie and Clyde. If you've ever seen Bonnie and Clyde, there's, like, a very similar scene in a diner. Um, there's, like, Bruce, when when Ving Rhames, Marcellus Wallace, is talking to Bruce Willis about how his career is, like, just going down the drain, about how he has to be realistic, about how it's just not going to happen for anymore. Like, that was Bruce Willis in 1994, was that his career was going nowhere, and he was this sort of, like, broke, washed-up 80s action star. Um, there's that. There's... Just... I, it's just one of those movies where... And maybe that just makes it sort of an obvious movie. And, like, maybe it's not... I don't, maybe it's not as difficult a movie... Maybe it's not a difficult movie, and maybe I should be picking up on all this stuff. But there's just things like that that really make the movie to me and make it interesting. Yeah, I I I agree. Mm-hmm. I um, it's yeah, it's it, I I think it's an interesting nomination. It's just it's very just, and I don't I don't know a ton about like what was nominated previous to this year, but it, it seems very like pulpy. <laughs> like, it is, you know, no, it's, yeah. it's it's very like it's just like wow. I guess it was sort of like a debut moment for Tarantino in a lot of ways into like the mainstream mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, for 
good and for bad. <laughs> yeah, I, and I think like just uh, I, it's weird because I also think this is in some ways it's even Quid Tarantino comments on himself in this movie too because there's a scene at uh, Jack Rabbit Slums between Uma Thurman and John Travolta and Uma Thurman goes why do we feel like we have to yak about bullshit all of Quentin Tarantino's movies are about people yakking about bullshit right um it's Lars no uh John Tarantino uh Quentin Tarantino I don't know John Tarantino (laughs) his brother I'm sure he's fine Quentin Tarantino okay I'm just gonna go on a little tirade here Quentin Tarantino is like the worst he's just like uh, seems like the worst person it seems like he writes movies just so he can say the N-word, even though he's a white guy. He's, like, really also not Also, cool. not a very good actor. He's a bad actor. He's, like, <laughs> obsessed with Uma Thurman. He's into, like, bodily appendages that no one needs to see. Um, like, it's just, like, not a very talented director, but, like, like a disgusting man. There, <laughs> I said it. Like, there's, there's very little redeeming about like, his Like, you don't want to bump into him at, like, a cocktail party. Right. I have no yeah. need to ever meet Quentin, yeah. Quentin Tarantino. That's fair. I think he's brought things to cinema. Great. So did, you know, Roman Polanski. <laughs> like, it's like, I don't... Yeah. He's not, he doesn't seem like a good guy. He kind of just seems kind of like a prick, you know? I don't know. Yeah. It, uh, sure. And I, I think... It's not a critique but, but, on the movie. Right, right. I mean, except when he lets himself, like, say things he probably shouldn't say, but... But, yeah, and I think in a weird way that's sort of the... Um, one of the reasons why Pulp Fiction became like Pulp Fiction, like a big deal, was that it was it was a rebellion, right? Yeah, it was a very Gen X movie and like rebelling against sort of like this baby boomer orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. And I think whenever you'll have, it, it sort of goes out of its way to be offensive, right? It's yeah. it's supposed to be in bad taste, like a Pulp Fiction magazine. Yeah. Um, but I think that's kind of the trick of it is that it isn't a lot of it. Some of it is in poor taste, but it's also so well crafted that like people couldn't help but respect it and people couldn't help but like give it all these accolades um it and that's also one of the reasons why this movie I think is kind of weird for me a little bit because it's definitely another generation's rebellion and because it's another generation's rebellion it's become sort of cliche so like like Pulp Fiction changed movies like I'm not trying to be, like, overdramatic, but, like, it spawned millions of imitators. It changed the sensibilities of, like, people in film school. Um, it it just changed the way people thought about movies and what kind of movies people wanted to make. Um, and so I think whenever... Like, if, if you were to say, like, I really like Pulp Fiction, people would be like, yeah, like, that doesn't make you special. No, no. Right? I, I, yeah. I, it's, it's interesting to, and I'm sure we'll get to this towards the end, like, to compare this against what won Forrest Gump. Mm. Um... In that, like you said, they're both sort of movies of an entire generation. Yeah. Um, and they're just... Yeah, well, now you've got me wondering what, like, Millennials movie is, but we'll... We'll get there. Stop Logan <laughs> versus the world on time. Yeah. I um, love that movie so much. I definitely think it's The Dark Knight, but whatever. <laughs> it could be. No, I don't, I don't know. I don't, what else would it be? Get Out? I don't know. <laughs> it's a movie that resonated with people. Um, yeah, and also just, like... I feel like I have to say the dance scene between Uma Thurman and John Travolta it's so good and I thought I was going to be this and like oh this is kind of silly but it's so well shot it's it's just so good I, like it's I don't know how else to describe it just like the way it follows Uma Thurman and the way it follows John Travolta it 
gives you sort of like I guess this is one my other thing I feel like I'm just spitting out words about Quentin Tarantino now but I had to watch Reservoir in the only film class I ever took we watched Reservoir Dogs which is his first movie and this one guy in the class um, was like I think this movie is fine but like my problem with Quentin Tarantino is that his, I feel like his movies are very like masturbatory like this is kind of him doing things because he wants to do them and I think there's a there's a decent amount of truth to that but it's like he's also telling actual stories here I think right like the Vincent Vega Marcellus Wallace's life is all about these like lonely people finding solace in each other sort of right yeah, yeah I guess masturbatory is a great word for <laughs> Quentin Tarantino right. yeah um yeah we don't have to get into his shots of Uma Thurman's feet yeah, but let's, um, let's not <laughs> uh then uh, the the gold watch. It's all about it's all about this guy redeeming himself and becoming honorable by saving the man who wants to kill him. And uh, the the last the the Bonnie situation is all about this guy. Like th- when when Samuel Jackson says he he gives his famous line about the tyranny of the evil man alone, and he goes, "I used to think it was just kind of like cold stuff to say," um, but then he actually says, "Like what I've realized, like." you're the weak and I'm the tyranny of the evil man. And that's just like, to me that's just like beautifully done. Like, just watching this guy go through this thing where he's like, oh, I realize I've been in the service of just evil my entire life. And deciding he wants to change. Yeah, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I um, And also just like, soundtrack is like really good. Oh, of, yeah. all, of all these movies, it has the best soundtrack. Yeah. Um, and that's the that's the interest. I think that's another reason I kind of like Quentin Tarantino, is that as as someone who worked in college radio and kind of fancies themselves as a wannabe music critic, it's like, <laughs> oh. yes, please please roll your eyes. But it's like he takes these sort. Of, he takes things like surf rock, and he takes things like disco and it's like things that were thought to appeal to the lowest common denominator and he also hoists them up as sort of like art and which which is a thing right that's kind of like what um arguably punk rock was right it's like you had these prog rock bands who were trying to create art and like symphonies and stuff but then you had the ramones were like actually the real art is like these phil Spector singles and we're gonna even make them even less arty by just turning them into guitars and drums I don't know I'm rambling but <laughs> Tarantino the dude knows what he's doing yeah I'll give him that okay alright yes yeah. what's next so here's the thing I feel like we were abandoning the strategy do you want me to say what else was nominated for or do you want to say that to the end mm. well, I mean you've done the just follow through <laughs> okay it was nominated for best editing lost it was nominated for best screenplay won um, Uma Thurman was nominated Samuel Jackson was nominated John Travolta was nominated Ooh, head to head Quinn, No, they were not head to head Samuel oh. Jackson was supporting oh, Travolta was uh, lead okay. um, Quentin Tarantino was nominated And the movie was nominated That's weird though. Travolta's in it for longer By, by, like, yeah. by like minutes Yeah, I feel like he is by himself longer There's really not a, like, like a lead in the movie No, there isn't no. But Oh, well. Alright, on to the next one. Quiz Show. Oh, yes! Yeah. Directed by Robert Redford. 
God bless. Screenplay by Paul Adonacio. Woo! Based on the book Remembering America, a voice from the 60s by Richard Goodwin. Oh, yeah! My man! Starring John Turturro, Rob Morrow, Rafe Fiennes, David Paymer, Paul Schofield. Kathleen, it was the fr- you, were, you were the only person here who had not seen this movie. This what is you true. I could not get over the fact that this is such a Lars movie. Where Thank it was you. like, Thank you. I am just like this scenario where like the rules are being broken, they've got to fix them, and there's people, and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I do I, say I, that. I didn't explain what this movie was about, did I? <laughs> oh, no, you didn't. So, so, based, so, so Kathleen, people basically, and Lars yeah, are being yeah. broken, and you got to fix them. <laughs> it takes place during the height of the quiz show craze in the 60s. Specifically, it's about the show 21. Um, there's a guy in the show named Herbie Stumple. Botten Fink! Right. He's sort of this very... He's... Um, this guy from Queens is very stereotypical Queens um, and is sort of viewed as, like, based as, like, the the, the, the sponsors behind the show, Geritol, as being sort of, like, too Atterboroughs and too Jewish, really, to be on the show. So they try and find a guy to beat him and they find, uh... Charles, Charles Van Doren. Charles Van Doren, played by Ray Fine. Was he supposed to be American? He is American, yeah. yes. But he's like, he's like, uh, New England. It's just, yeah, it's, it's just, just so... He's a Brahmin. Um, oh. Who's this Columbia literature professor, um, sort of like, this, like, almost like this, like, ideal, like, Aryan in a way. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh, but he's he so... Like, who's the guy who played, um, the guy in Call Me By Your Name? No, oh, uh, Army uh, Hammer. It was just, like, early Army Hammer. Yeah. But less buff. Yeah, um, like 90, <laughs> like '90s Army Hammer, and they they fix they fix the show so that he can win. And Herbie Semple sues over this, and Richard Goodwin, who is a um, prosecutor for, is a congressional investigator, and congressional investigator reads this in the papers and investigates the whole thing and tries to, to bring him down. Him. I liked his character. Yeah, me Rich, too. Richard Goodwin. Um, it, do you have any more to say, Kathleen? Not honestly, not really, because that's kind of. I was like, oh, this is a large movie, and not to say that like okay. that, that's not a bad thing, that's not a good thing. It doesn't mean I didn't like it, but it was like I didn't feel a lot about this movie, and I was more just curious about not the movie itself, but the story behind the movie. Because I'm like, I understand why they felt the need to sue, but I was like, do they have grounds to sue? Like. I'm sure they did on some level. I don't know anything about laws, um, but it was it was interesting. It was I would not watch it again. I I would be have been fine if I had never seen this movie. Um, wow. <laughs> and, okay. And I just didn't like. I didn't like Van Duren. No. Oh, what? Yeah, I, so oh, I think once Lars, I think you're one of the only people who likes Charles. Van it's like okay, oh. my thing no, is no, like. No, no, like, like, mm, no. Mm, <laughs> I didn't dislike Van Doren, but I didn't, I didn't think he was a bad person, but I was not, I was just like, you're dumb. Like, like, just like, get with it. I just didn't feel like he was, the character was carried in a way that made me feel strongly about him in any sense. Um, but I didn't feel like there was a character that I really liked. I guess the newspaper reporter, wait, was he, he was not a newspaper reporter. Thank you, thank you. Um, what was I watching? I was watching something with the newspaper reporter recently. Um, I, Tanya. Um. Does a newspaper reporter in I, Tanya? Yeah. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> That'll be in, like, 15. <laughs> it was not, it actually, it actually wasn't. Oh, oh, never mind. <laughs> anyway, come on. Um, so I think he was the only one who, like, I 
felt was like a well-rounded character in the sense that he, I don't know, he just seemed interesting. Um, we learned a little bit about his life at home. We meet his wife. Charles Van Duren is just, is his name Charles? Yes. Charles, yeah. Okay. And I don't know. I just felt like he was a caricature of a human being. And I felt the same thing for the Herbie Stemple. Um, so yeah, that's that. Okay, to Ray. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I would, I would. Um, first of all, Ray Fiennes should have won Best Actor this year. He's not I, even nominated. I know it was just some bullshit. I, I, so I, I, I disagree. He's so oh, his accent he's is brutal. Oh, is, but it, is that Charles Van Duren? Yeah, it's unbearable. Oh, I think he's phenomenal. It's unbearable. Oh my god. Okay, well, I'll just go suck Voldemort's dick. <laughs> Whatever. Jesus um, okay, okay. Ray Fiennes is great in this movie. His accent's fine. His character's good. And I, so this char- this movie is fascinating to me. It's like I, I will admit it's a very me movie, um, but it, it it's like the interesting parts of this movie are like about morality and about like the relationship between his father. Um, uh, that Mark was Van interesting. Doren. That yeah. was actually very. What's I forgot name? about Mark, that. Mark Van Doren, who's like the older professor, and Charles Van Doren, who's like this younger like teacher, and they, like. Uh, uh, right, he's not even a professor. Right, but he, he he's like a lecturer or something. Yeah. He's trying to be more like his father, and his father like like Charles Van Doren. It's like so desperate to, um, like not get the attention of, but like get the respect of his family, and it's like there's this great scene. Where he goes home and he brings um, Richard Goodwin with him, um, and they're at home and his father's there and like all of his relatives are like like obsessed with Charles Van Duren like oh my god how much money do you have and he's like thousands of dollars I've won so far um, and they're all like playing games and like oh you we see you on TV um, and his father just cannot be bothered and Charles Van Duren like buys his father like a television in this like. Um, it's like a very self-aggrandizing gift. It's like I want you to watch me, but it's like so tragic. It's it's like a tragedy of Charles Van Dorn because it ends. Um, you know, spoiler alert. It's like basically Congress investigates the quiz shows, and Richard Goodwin like pleads Congress basically don't go after Charles Van Dorn. Um, like, give the guy a break. Like, just go after the shows, go after the network. Don't go after the people. They kind of like. Don't go after like the stars, right? Go after the actual like masterminds mm-hmm. behind this, um, and you know, there sort of becomes like this reign of ter- tyranny where they they go after the networks, and then they're like, "But we're going to drag everyone down with you." So they like go after Charles Van Dorn, and they're asking these questions, and they're like, the, "You know, the, the first couple um, congressmen or senators, I can't remember, uh, like they're like Charles Van Dorn gives this speech where he admits that he lied to the American people." And that he committed this fraud. And the first, you know, couple senators are like, I just really want to applaud what you said. And then this one senator is like, I don't applaud what you did at all. You lied and, like, you should be punished for this. And this is horrible. Um, yes, but quite no, he, but it's like something to that effect. It's like, he said, I, will not, I will not applaud you. Like, you lied. Yeah. I don't think an adult of your intelligence should be... Um, like commended for right, the right, right, right. Incredible scene, right? Yeah, and it's and that's like and that's it's like this emotional like collapse in the film. Mm-hmm. It's like at the end of the movie, and it's like basically Charles Van Doren leaves in disgrace. Um, like everything he worked for is sort of like his whole reputation is down the drain forever, and he gets fired, and he doesn't even know he's been fired. Um, 
And I think that's really. Uh, sorry, I'm gonna keep going. And it's like the I I and we'll, we'll get to this in several episodes. But it's like this film I contrast a lot with like The Big Short. Is I think they're very very yeah, that's why very similar movies because they're both about this like inherent fraud in the system, um, and and just like the, the like quandaries of morality and how you like treat like like how ethics are treated and how like this like systemic abuse. I just I just think it's fa- I, this is a great movie. I'm fascinated by this movie. I, I love it. I think my favorite part of the movie is um that that scene that you just mentioned in with the, the with the Congress. I think yeah. it's just like I think that's the one thing that I honestly forgot it happened, but now that I'm thinking about it I'm like, no, yeah, that was I like I felt that scene. Yeah. But the rest of the movie I'm just like things are happening, things are happening. But I was like, oh, like there are repercussions. These are like people's lives that are being played with. Um and I feel like it speaks to, like, a larger level, not even talking about, like, inherent flaws in systems, but just the way that people carry about life. The idea that, you know, Charles Van Duren sat there and he, he knows he did something wrong. And, um, and he knows that he was vying for attention. He bought the, his father the TV set and everything. But the fact that he, sits, he thinks he can sit there and, and read off this very well-scripted thing and you know he knows like what he looks like he knows the way he carries himself and thinks that people will give him sympathy because of that because of the way he speaks and the way he's acting and then someone's like but you you screwed up Mm -hmm. and i can't i can't forgive you for screwing up i think that that speaks wonders because we all know situations like that and yeah Uh, and and it's it's also just a great look at like at America in general at the time, and it's like and it's like we needed we we needed to find villains in people, and like it shows like Congress doesn't make a or doesn't make a villain out of the network. They make a villain out of Charles mm-hmm. Van Doren or out of that's uh, easier too, right? And it's like people need some, and like um, Richard Goodwin is like, please don't blame this on one person. This is a systemic problem. Um, but you know, there, there's this like reign of terror and like going after Van Doren, and I I I, uh, I always forget about this, but I remembered it this time. It's like the very first scene of the movie is Richard Goodwin is buying a car, and it's like mm-hmm. he's buying this car, and the car dealer dealer is telling him all about these fancy things that he will never use, and he does not really care about, but he cannot help but love this car. And they're like, and the radio's perfect, and the t- the seats are like pristine cow leather and Richard Goodwin is eating it up. That's a combination of cow and... Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it, he's eating it up. And it's like the audience was eating this up. And it's like, uh, there's sort of, it's sort of like a big, short comparison again. It's like everyone kind of knew there was something wrong. Mm-hmm. Something... and But people, like, ate it up. And I, it's like a whole critique, I think, on, you know, on uh, McCarthyism, on just sort of sort of the era and on like systemic fraud in america mike you haven't talked much (laughs) so i also like this movie um and to what you said about like needing a villain like my favorite part of the movie is actually the end credits where it's (laughs) oh you hated them (laughs) it's a slow motion uh shot of the uh like game show audience in studio audience and they're all like smiling and laughing in slow motion, but it's set to Mac the Knife, which is the first lens of Mac the Knife, like the shark bay with his pearly whites. And it's about basically how like the public is this school of sharks, and like every once in a while we have to throw them some raw meat. 
to keep them entertained. Um, and so that, that sort of like cycle of celebrity and fame and sort of like the abuse of that is what I find so interesting. And going back to like the, um, the father son dynamic, which I think is really interesting one where it's, it, it, I, I wonder if almost this is also sort of a, it's funny, right? Because this portion, like this portions of Forrest Gump take place at the same time as this movie. This movie actually probably happens a little before, like 1958 is supposed to take place. But it's like, you have this sort of like younger man looking up to his like very stoic, very professional father. And there's one scene where he goes home and he's eating chocolate cake. And um, he's like, oh, I'm going through a tough time because he knows there's an investigation. And he's also writing a book. He says like, oh yeah, whenever I write a book, the same thing happens to me. And he's like, oh, you never told me, like, you felt pressure. And he's like, oh, yeah, I feel terrible pressure. Um, and sort of this this idea of, like, looking up to, like, the gen- like, like you know, this guy's generation who he's looking up to is, like, they're, like, probably the greatest generation, right? They're, like, the, right. you know, One World War Two, all that stuff. Um, Maybe you've and, heard of it. <laughs> right. Um, and sort of this... I guess there's been different versions of fame and... I, I don't really know where I'm going with this, but it, it's sort of like the, the celebrity that Charles Van Doren finds, which is all based on his appearance on a TV, on a quiz show, is looked down on by his father, who is famous because he's, like, really smart. Um, and this this sort of, like, in, in some ways the origin of, like, modern American celebrity and sort of, like, the artifice of television, but also, like, the never-ending appeal of television either. And <clears throat> there, there's a scene in the movie where uh, the ABC, or NBC, NBC, NBC wants Charles Van Doren to make a statement saying, I was not involved, blah, blah, blah. And the president of the company says, you know, television is a public trust. We can't, we can't, you know, we, like rumor has a way of becoming, speculation has a way of becoming fact in our society. And we can't let any hint of scandal uh, in fact the, our uh, network and I thought not to get political, but NBC is also the channel that would make The Apprentice a thing, right? Um, and just, I mean, in a larger <clears throat> sense, all the networks would air basically free coverage of a certain dipshit <laughs> who is currently our president. But I mean, but but that happens with like anything, right? It's yeah. like the there, and I think this goes well with the media too. Be, uh, duh, the media, the media in the '90s as well, because it was the O.J. Simpson trial. It was the Tanya Harding scandal. It was like the Amy Fisher thing, right? It was all of these very like juicy tabloidy stories that became covered that were covered by national outlets, and that's sort of where you, I think, at the origins a lot of the problems the media has nowadays. And I actually think it's kind of a prescient movie, even though it is about like 1958 in that regard. Yeah, I to go before we wrap up on this one to add. The scene when he goes back to his his father's house and he's eating the cake in the middle of the night. Also, I think might have my like favorite, maybe my favorite part from the movie. He's they're, they're talking about everything, and he's eating his cake, and and he says like I just wanted to have. I remember I would come home from school every day, and I would have a piece of chocolate cake and a glass of milk, and I think that's like the happiest moments of my life. It's like nothing. It was so simple, and nothing has ever made me feel like as good sense. And I like, I, I thought, I like, 
thought back to my childhood. It's like I would come home like and like I had situations like that. It's like I remember coming home and eating like a piece of peanut butter toast with like a glass of like a Coke or something. And it's like I will never have that experience again. And it's like so pure and simple and it contrasts against like the entire world outside the Van Doren household and just like craziness. And there's there's like such a heart at the center of this movie. I really like this movie. <laughs> um, we can move on, though. <laughs> okay, we can. Well, so just to know what else was nominated for, it was nominated for screenplay. It did not win. It lost to Forrest Gump. Wrong. Um, <laughs> Sad. Paul Schofield, who plays Mark Van Doren, was nominated for best supporting actor. Okay. I, he says like I think like the cake scene, and then there's the scene where he finds out that Charles Van Doren lied. Yeah. I probably quite got it. And then Robert Redford was nominated for directing. Nice. And the movie itself was nominated. The movie's really well edited. And there's no, some it is. really good cinematography. No, yeah, I, I agree. It should have gotten more love for that, I think. I, I think this is the most underseen of these movies. And, like... Compared to, like, its quality, I think it's the most, like, unjustly ignored. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, last but certainly not least, we have... The Shawshank Redemption. Uh, no one likes that. <laughs> <laughs> Directed by Frank Darabont. Uh, screenplay by Frank Darabont based on Rita Hayworth and The Shawshank Redemption, which is a novella by Stephen King. Uh, starring Tim Robbins, Morgan Freeman, Bob Gunton, William Sadler, Clancy Brown, Gil Bellows, and James Whitmore. Uh, movie about a guy named Andy Dufresne, who is convicted, he says wrongly convicted, of murdering his wife. He ends up in Shawshank Prison, where he meets Morgan Freeman, whose name is Red Ruffing, and um, they they storm. He he's this president of a, a vice president of a bank, um, not the kind of guy you expect to find in general population in prison. And it's basically about him navigating his life in prison, dealing with the corrupt warden, getting you know sort of like him. He's kind of like the Forrest Gump of prison in a way, where he does all these <laughs> sort of like interesting and miraculous things in prison. And, yeah, just about dealing with prison. Uh, what do you think, Kathleen? This, you also had not seen this movie. I had not seen this movie. I really liked this movie. It just made me feel good inside. Um, it was like, I don't know why. I just, it was, it was, I don't, mm, what thoughts do I have on this movie? Um, I don't, I just liked it. I just like that it kind of, I like how from the beginning... <laughs> Sorry, there's a car playing very loud music outside. Yeah. <laughs> it's groovy. Um, it kind of like... I like that... What is his name? Andy? Andy. Just kind of subverts what you think someone like him would go through. Where he, in a way, embraces the entire, like... I almost said college experience. It is not college. <laughs> prison Close experience. Enough. And not the sense that he, like... I don't know if embraces is the right word, but he starts making it work for him. Um, he is, like, abused in the prison, um, but he never says anything about it. He never picks a fight about it. He knows that he can somehow, like, work things out. Um, and he ends up working for the warden, and basically can, not even just working for the warden, but convincing the warden to hire him. So he really turns the situation on its head and, and holds the power in the situation. Um, because if anything bad is to happen to him, the warden will also kind of get screwed over. Um... And he gains a lot of trust to his benefit, and he ends up, I mean, spoiler, escaping at the end. Um, I think it's just an interesting, it's its a quiet movie. I like that. It's a very, like, 
about like kind of just like quiet plotting and also simple pleasure. And I think also there's, oh, this is the thing that I really meant a lot to me, um, not to get too deep, but maybe we can circle back around. This. I'm going to say it now. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, um, they talk about prison. Everyone in prison wants to get out of prison, obviously. You see Red several times go to get, um, is it probation is what he's asking? Parole. Parole. Thank you. I don't know the words. Um, and you see, uh, first someone else get parole and he ends up, um, killing himself because he doesn't know how to function in a world outside of prison because for, you know, 30 plus years, that's all he knew. Then Red eventually gets parole and he's talking the audience through the same thing about he doesn't know what this world is. He doesn't know how to function. He doesn't know how to do anything. And I, that's like, um, that was a, I think a very powerful moment. And I think everyone kind of has something like that. Um, some situation, whether it's a physical situation, like, you know, you, you leave college and you don't know what the world is out of there and you hated being in college because you hated staying up late writing essays, but you get out and you're like, well, what is this now? Or like for, um, not to make this like really heavy, but, um, you know, I, um, mental illness, it's, it's a scary place to be, but you get out of it and you don't know how to function out of it because like all of a sudden you're experiencing things differently than you did. So like interesting, like if you're in a bad marriage, you leave the bad marriage and you don't know how to function. It's a very just interesting concept. I feel I like that a lot. Yes. Okay. Moving on. It's, and we talked about this being sort of a downside in Forrest Gump's case, but it's also a very sentimental movie. But yeah, it works. Yeah. I think it works a lot better in this one. Um, like, yeah, uh, what, what the old man's name? Brooks. Gets, yeah, Brooks. Who has the... Oh, my God. Actually, it's, like, heartbreaking. I was almost tearing up. It's like when he gets parole, um, and he gets out, and he, like, commits suicide, and he writes the letter back home, um, and he's... You know, he says he goes out and feeds the birds every day, and he really hopes that, like, his bird from prison will come visit him. I just, I got, I don't know, I got really emotional. It's, like, very, it's very sad at that part, and I, I don't know. I think it's the most emotional film of the five. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. And, like, the most earned, like, Forrest Gump, it feels manipulative sometimes. Yeah. I don't think The Shawshank Redemption is manipulative. No, it uh, feels sincere in mm-hmm. its, mm-hmm. And, and, and and there's a lot. It's also like a whole a film about like male bonding. <laughs> it is, um, and it's like and, and how <laughs> how Brooks and Red um, come to terms with life outside of prison. I think is very interesting. It's like Brooks is like at the end of his life, and he commits suicide because he can't deal with it. But Red's instinct is to try to find someone like him so he goes looking for Andy mm-hmm. um, well Red admits that he would have committed suicide right, if Andy had not been right. and out in the world yeah and it's just this like basically it, in a way they sort of like he gives up his entire he violates the, uh, his parole and f- literally flees the country to go mm-hmm. be with his friend and they're both kind of towards the end of their life and it's it's sentimental but it's yeah. nice it is it's a. The, you're talk, we're talking about a lot on the, the suicide part, but it's. Um, There's a lot more to the movie than just that. It is. But I'm thinking because. So they end up in like a halfway house, both Brooks and Red. And before he kills himself, Brooks uh, carves into the, the um, beam, I guess, on the, the ceiling. Brooks was here. And then Red carves in. Red was. So was Red. Yeah. And sort of. And, you know, it's, it's not just physically there, it's I was in. 
red shoes as well, and Brooks's mm-hmm. shoes as well, um, which is, I, it's like a tribute to a lost friend almost. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that this it works. It, it makes prison seem really bad because it probably is really mm-hmm. bad. But I, I think it, yeah, it's, it's it's. I actually think the easiest movie to relate to because I feel like if you've ever been sort of stuck in an institution that feels inescapable and you really don't want to be in, I think this is pretty relatable. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, it for sure is like the most relatable. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, right. And it, I think that that's what makes it powerful is that it's you know the the big the big lines hope hope is the worst of things, but it's like no hope is actually the best of things. Um, the, what I wrote in my letterbox review is that <laughs> there's always a light at the end of the shit filled filled pipe. It's it's you know it's sort of a it's uplifting because it's about finding peace and salvation in a way. And I do think they make Andy sort of like a weirdly messianic figure because he's like, he's stuck in like a tomb and he grows a beard and he leaves the tomb. The tomb being solitary confinement. Yeah. And he's, he's almost a very, he's kind of like a turn the other cheek. Yeah. 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 Throughout the film. He's he's just like, do what you will. Mm -hmm. Um, I like that. If you, I mean, not to compare this to like the first movie that came to mind was um and like in terms of institutionalized movies that take place in institutions is like um One Flew with the Cuckoo's Nest where is the guy's name Red there too? No, it's not Mac. Maybe I've never seen One Flew with the Cuckoo's Nest. Okay, so the like <laughs> the the guy who comes in um who is not Chief, the other guy, Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson. Um, R. P. McMurphy. R. P. McMurphy. Where I got red from. Um, I think he had red hair in the book. It doesn't matter. He's someone who, like, purposely creates waves. Um, Well, you have, like, the two kind of dichotomies where Chief is someone who just just does his thing. He mops the floors. That's it. Um, Jack Nicholson comes in and purposely makes waves. And everyone knows he's a troublemaker. Where you have um, Andy, who's somewhere in the middle of that, where he, he... He's making waves in a way that also in a still conforms to to the institution, um, and actually in many ways benefits the people running the institutions until of course he makes it benefit himself. But um, it's this new take on like not even just I mean it is hope and it is like finding peace, but it's also accepting that you have to work and that um, and that. Working is not a bad thing, mm-hmm. um, and that you are, you can be your own savior. Yeah, it's a, it's a good film about like like economics. Actually, <laughs> it's it's like it it's is very, actually it is it's like a great film about using like human capital and like trading to like work your way to getting what you want and mm-hmm. like making do with what you have in the one of the scarce most scarce environments on earth. And I, I like that. <laughs> Yeah, cinematography is also really good. No, yeah, that that, was... that like one over like that like sort of like I guess it'd be crane shot. I don't know. I'm, I'm not good with my terminology, but where when the bus is first coming to Shawshank mm. and you see and it's like the peep the crowd running to the fences is really good. And there's another one where um, he's getting ganged up on by the sisters, and it sort of frames the guy he has like the shiv in his hand. He has it up to Andy's head, and just like everything is like black around him. 
just, just, I don't know. People, that was the thing I was reading about this movie. Is like that was the one thing people were like, "Oh my god, the cinematography is amazing when it came out." Um, funny thing about this movie too is it actually didn't do well at the box office. Really, but it was it was because it was constantly rerun on TBS that it became mm. popular. Um, yeah, I, it's I, yeah, if there is one downside, I think that like it's narrated by Morgan Freeman. I, I the narration is a little. I don't love the narration. It just it's just a little overly folksy for me. You say you don't like Morgan Freeman as a narrator. Morgan Freeman <laughs> hot take. Morgan Freeman has a lovely voice. It was the words he was saying that I had a problem with. Um, yeah. A- anything else on Shawshank? No, I like this movie a whole lot. Okay, I feel like it's the one we took like the least amount of time to talk about, but that's I think fine. It was just too perfect. Too. Yeah. Um, so it was nominated for best editing. Lost. Nominated for Best Cinematography, Lost. Nominated for Best Sound, Lost. Actually didn't win any of its awards. Nominated for Best Score, Lost. Nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay, Lost. Morgan Freeman was nominated. Lost. He lost. <laughs> and then the movie itself was nominated as well. Um, okay, so. It's 1994. You're a voting member of the Academy of Motion Picture, Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. You're giving a ballot with Forrest Gump, Four Wings and a Funeral, Pulp Fiction, Quiz Show, and The Shawshank Redemption. How do you vote? Let's start with Kathleen. Shawshank. So, I'm actually (laughs) super on the fence all of a sudden. (laughs) Going into this, I thought I was going to say Pulp Fiction. Um, And I still might. But I'm leaning Quiz Show right now. After I gave my impassioned speech about it, I convinced myself that this movie should have won Best Picture. I think it's just. You like, convinced me it should have won Best Picture. I think it's. But thank I don't you. believe I should. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Uh, I'm going to go with Quiz Show for right now. I think it deserves its moment. And I'm going to be that champion. And I'm going to say Pulp Fiction. I Pulp think. Fiction. Yeah, it's good. We have a diversity of opinions. I just. It, it changed movies and, like, it. Um, I, just, I just think it's the best made. I, it's just like, it's the most different. Right, it's the most divergent, so maybe that's why I'm picking it because like I can recognize it's the most different, and so it stands out. But it's I don't really even know how to describe it. It's just kind of like a, a work of art that I really appreciate. <laughs> We're universal in saying that the Academy was wrong, so <laughs> yeah, I, I think we all kind of agree. Forrest Gump wouldn't we wouldn't have voted for Forrest Gump. Yeah, you think Forrest Gump would win today? No. No, I don't. I think Quiz Show would win today. Yeah, yeah, for I, sure. Um, Quiz Show is like the most like kind of modern of these movies. Is I I think it would be more topical today than it was back then. Yeah. yeah. So inter- So I actually we kind of talked about this when we were watching these movies. But Mark Harris, who's a film critic, um, he has kind of a, a theory ish about X movies and Y movies, um, and. I'll, I'll read a little bit of it because a lot of it, killing to this this like theory starts in 1994 basically um, and basically he says there are two there are, in some years there 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 are two types of movies that get nominated an X movie and a Y movie um, and it kind of goes like this he says this is all based on the quote unquote balls argument if Academy's voters had any balls they would give Best Picture Oscar to an X movie. However, Academy voters have no balls, therefore they will give the best picture to Y movie. Y, as in why, God, why, is a symbol of mediocrity, compromise, and injustice. 
and that is a terrible thing to be anywhere, including contemporary movie culture. There are Best Picture winners that seem to make people cringe almost as soon as the envelope is unsealed. Um, and he uses Forrest Gump as an example of a Y movie and Pulp Fiction of the example of an X movie. And he actually, in his article, sort of criticizes that way of thinking. Um, he says, yeah, the first Y of the internet era was, for, was Robert Zemeckis' Forrest Gump. It beat that year's X, Pulp Fiction, and as a result, this was the official What's Wrong with Hollywood whipping boy for a full decade. Yeah. Does anyone I, have thoughts on no, that? I, I, I think that's solid. I, I'm not sure, like, I think there are a, lot, are a lot of movies that you could call, like, I'm not, I'm not sure, like, like I'm not, I wouldn't be convinced that, like, La La Land or, like, Spotlight are necessarily, was it, Y movies? I, I don't, think Spotlight's the next movie, La La Land's a Y movie. I I'm, I'm I don't know. I'm, that's what I I'm not convinced movies can be broken down into two just two things. Like I, yeah. I think, um, in this year maybe, <laughs> in '94 maybe. But I, like, if Quiz Show yeah. would have won, I don't think that's either. Like, no, it's yeah. it's I agree. yeah. It's if, like, if, I think like the lines on those can be blurred really yeah. easily. It, I think I, there has to be a really strict dichotomy. It's mm. good to compare Forrest Gump and Pulp Fiction. Mm. But, like, if you were to compare Forrest Gump against Four Weddings and a Funeral, it's like, which one of those is... <laughs> no, the, yeah. Like, I, uh, yeah. what? I agree. I agree. Um, and he even yeah. says, like, 1995, there was no Y movie or X movie, mm. um, which we'll get to. But, uh, okay, so other exer- exercise. Other thing. You are a voting member of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. You are given a blank ballot. It's time to nominate movies. Is year nineteen ninety four? What movies would you nominate that were not nominated this year? So, and I was looking at this right before we started. Um, not a lot of great movies this year, to be honest. Like all that the, weren't nominated. That, that even that weren't nominated. All the ones that were like pretty good were great, and they were mostly nominated. The like the ones that stood out to me that weren't nominated were like The Lion King. Mm-hmm. Um, should have be nominated for Best Picture? I don't know. Maybe probably over, like, Four Weddings and a Funeral. I don't know. I also liked um, The Hudsucker Proxy, but... Uh, okay, no one's heard of that movie, but that's a good one. <laughs> I've never seen it, but I've heard um, good things. It's, it's good. It's Coen Brothers. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm pretty happy with what they chose. I, Four Weddings and a Funeral is the one that seems weird, but, mm. like, I ain't... It's fine. Yeah. Uh, you made a face, Kathleen. No, I just don't know movies I can't... I'm looking at movies I can't <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of a boring... Like, I was looking at Letterboxd to see what was popular yeah. that year, and it's really not a great year. It's like Ace Ventura Pet Detective. Exactly. I really cannot stand. Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I, The Lion King is what jumped out to me. Yeah. Um, Hoop Dreams... Is a documentary, so it would never be nominated for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also infamously not nominated for Best Documentary. Now it's considered one of like, the greatest documentaries of all time. Hmm. It's this like three-hour documentary about these two kids who play basketball in prep schools in inner-city Chicago. And um, their sort of rise to local fame. And then they're being recruited by colleges and their college experience. And I think it's increasingly relevant now that there are like NCAA investigations and sort of the thing of do we pay student athletes is becoming more of a issue it has I think maybe one of the most uncomfortable 
like actual live things ever like filmed. Um, there's a there's a scene where one of the subjects is playing basketball against like his estranged father, and they get into like this really real like argument and like almost like come to blows. Uh, well, not they don't almost come to blows, but it's like they're just like it's a real like heated actual argument, and it's just crazy that it was caught on film. And then Clerks also came out in 1994. <laughs> Clerks is not a movie that should probably be nominated for Best Picture, but it's it, it's a good movie. It it maybe has not aged super well, but it's it's good. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so we have three options. We can end this right now. We have two options. We can end this right now, or we can look at the rest of the categories here real quick. No, we're not looking at the rest of the categories. No. Yeah, that would take too much time, wouldn't it? That would take okay. a ridiculous amount of time. Live decision-making. Um, yeah, so thanks for listening. I thought this was fun. I learned a lot and had some laughs yeah. along the way. <laughs> this, this was 1994, the year of my birth, the best year ever. Um, okay. Next year is 1995, where we'll be watching Apollo 13. Oh, yes. Babe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Braveheart, Il Postino, a.k.a. The Postman, and Sense and Sensibility. That's the one I'm excited for the most. I'm excited to rewatch Apollo 13. I love space movies. I'm excited for, yeah, I'm excited for Apollo 13. And let's be honest, babe. (laughs) I I was like five last time. Yeah, it's been like 20 years. Okay, that's great. First episode in the books. Awesome. Uh, This has been the uh, Real Life Oscars Challenge. Um, you can find us all on Letterboxd and stuff. I'm Amara Mike, A-M-E-R-I Mike. I'm Lars Emerson, L-A-R-S Emerson. And I'm Kathleen Levita. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, stick here on whatever SoundCloud thing you've listened to this on because that's where we're going to keep posting this. Um, thanks for listening. And, uh, yeah, have a, have a great day. Bye. (laughs) Catch you next time.